Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It's Ben here. I am delighted to be joined by Simon Robinson. Simon is an employment solicitor or employment lawyer for outside of the UK at Robinson Ralph. So Simon, thank you very much for joining me today. You're very welcome. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, great to meet you. Do you want to just start by giving us a little bit about your background and what led you up to the formation of the business? Sure. So uh, I qualified as a solicitor in uh, 1998. Initially, I did crime criminal work as opposed to being a criminal and um, then got fed up with uh, the regular police station visits getting the same people you know in and out of court all the time and uh, legal aid money isn't particularly impressive either so but I wanted to do advocacy so swapped to employment law uh, and then worked at various firms over the years uh, before I think just kind of deciding that bluntly I was sick of the politics that I saw in law firms, only the ones I saw, I'm not suggesting all law firms suffer from it, obviously, mm-hmm. and because I was sick of making money for other people uh, in broad terms. So, um, yeah, so they were the reasons for for setting it up and, I, and 18 months ago, and I've, I've got to say, it's been the best decision I made. I kind of wish I'd done it 10 years ago, to be honest. Wow. Can I ask, why did you not do it sooner? Uh, uh, pr- probably, yeah, fear, I would guess. Yeah. I think it's it's one of these things you see other people doing it. I've always thought, God, that's, wow, you've got bills to pay and, and you know, got kids and, and, a, yeah. and a family. And I think if you're, in a, if you're in a firm that's paying you particularly well, giving up a, yeah. a six-figure salary to, to open your firm really is... Um, it's a big ask, but I was very lucky in that my wife always said to me that she said, I think you can do it. And if anybody, nobody's ever instructed me, I don't think, and because of where I've been sat, whether the badge of the firm has always been irrelevant. People have either instructed me for me or not instructed me for me. So I thought I may as well take that out into my own firm and see, see where it takes me. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in in your background, you, you mentioned doing crime. I love the fact that that criminal lawyers always talk about doing crime. Is yeah, that- yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's. I did it, to be honest. I did it when I started my training contracts uh, back in Wolverhampton. It was it was brilliant. The guy who was my principal, a guy called Chris Homer, was just infectious about it. Really enthusiastic. Really mm. top notch trainer. And I got as a, as a in my early twenties, it was it was just exciting, you know. Being, yeah. I'm in court, I'm cross examining yeah. the police, I'm down at police stations. It, the drama was just yeah. was just um, was just amazing. But then it, it wears thin pretty pretty quickly. And, um, the turnstile. Yeah. Oh, totally. And you know, I, I remember getting somebody off out on bail in Sutton Coalfield, and the police then saying, "Right, well, we've got to take them across to Birmingham because they breached the bail there." Oh. And this this guy screaming at me in court saying I thought you were going to get me out. I was like, I can't I can't get you out of a bail application. I'm I'm literally not doing. It's over in another court. 
And then, you know, you get these people out on the Monday and then you see them the next week or down at the police station at midnight. And it was just, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it becomes, uh, to be honest, I think when you start to feel like you probably prefer the police rather than your clients, it's time to quit. <laughs> I love it. And on the employment law side of things, what, yep. what is the employment law landscape like? Because in my mind, over the, the decades, uh, it's reduced unionism, which had its own employment law issues and challenges and stuff, but yeah. that created employment law work. But on the flip side, you've got other things like GDPR and other aspects. Is there more or less work in the employment law sphere or is it the same? I think it's always the same. It just moves around. I think, you know, the, the, the two constants, death and taxes, mm. you can probably explain that to death taxes and employment law because there's always going to be businesses hiring people. There's always going to be businesses firing people. Um, so there's always, there's always work out there mm. for it. And whether it's, 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 you know, GDPR or is the old union stuff, it, yeah. it's there. It, it just, it just shifts, just shifts focus. Yeah. So, yeah, I think as long as you're <clears throat> as long as you're prepared to adapt. I mean, I think where a lot of firms got in trouble when tribunal fees came in was that they were concentrating solely on tribunals. So then, when when the number of tribunals fell off a cliff uh, when fees came in, all of employment departments were in trouble. But that's the, the firms that survived were the ones that realised that was an opportunity to diversify and do more training and uh, more strategic work. And I think it's just about that. It's 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 adapt or die, really. Yeah, yeah. I just had a little flashback to um, my first ever solo job as an HR manager on a site is back in Australia yeah. in an industrial town, and the the big head honcho union official came into the business for a big meeting, and so the union the local delegates introduced him to me and he said, "Oh, fresh blood for me to train up. Here we go." <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you can get it's it's funny with unions because I I do think they serve a if it's done right they do serve a valuable role um, yeah. in protecting employee rights. But then I've heard and been involved with so many cases where union reps have been doing things for their own political careers within the union, uh, um, or or just to disrupt the company that. Yeah. Uh, it becomes, you know, I've seen where people work, for example, unions have been wanting to take their members out of strike because a company sacked somebody for gross misconduct quite properly, but yeah. the, the union just wanted to make trouble. You think, well, you, you know, who's this helping? Yes. I mean, and, um, yeah. yeah. I think that's where unions get can get a bad reputation, not, mm. not because I don't think generally they serve a good purpose, but because you can get some individuals within it, which, which create a bad impression. But yeah. yeah. You know, I think I think it should be. I don't agree with the them and us attitude with unions. I think we should we should be working with unions for the betterment of the business and employees. That mm. that's always much more helpful than um, than being combative. Yeah, I'm mostly non-unionized workforces, but yeah, back in the day, there was one occasion where we terminated someone in a 100% unionized working environment, and you know the classic nervous response of what's going to happen and there going to be strike action or whatever. Uh, yeah. But it was a very slow process and well-planned and all that sort of thing to the point where later on some of the, the local union delegates came up to me just quietly and said, why didn't you get rid of him earlier? Yeah. He was useless. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I know. I think there's, there's, do you know, there's a nervousness. I had, I had a, one, I won't say who it was. I had a client in particular who it was an issue like that with gross misconduct and they were getting nervous that the union were going to ballot their members. <laughs> and I said, let them. Let them. 
Because because what you do with your hearts and mind approach is write to all of these members at home, let them explain to their husbands and wives why they're going to lose money going out and strike for a guy who's committed this particular act of gross misconduct. They won't get the numbers. But then they get sometimes businesses get so scared that they roll over. And I made the point to this business, I said, you roll over in this, you may as well just roll over for the next 10 years because they know they've got you. If you're not prepared to stand up for this. Yeah. And they didn't, they didn't, they let, they, they back down and they think, well, it's going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening. Once you, once you show that sign of weakness and I don't think, I, I think you can be firm, but fair, but, but you know, reinstating someone who has committed gross misconduct because you're worried there might be a strike. Mm. It just, it's just, ludicrous position to take in my view yeah i want to get on to roberts and ralph in just a moment but i've got one more question which is i guess a lot of hr people and consultants and employers generally have in the back of their mind is the whole um settling on the steps thing yeah yeah so all right we're going to fight this we're going to fight this get to the the court because this is ridiculous they stole money they hit someone who knows yeah and then settling and actually paying out so it doesn't go to trial what what are your thoughts and advice around that so we as a um standard practice we will get the if we, we're representing companies mainly yeah so we get the file of papers in to draft the response uh, to the claim form and in the course of doing that then do an advice letter to the client to say having looked at this we think and we do it in percentage forms like 70 percent being the highest as mm. in if 70 percent, we think you're going to pretty much win this bar any kind of unforeseen witness anomalies on the day or the judge just going rogue or something like that you should witness there's no obvious um risks down to below 50 percent, which is settle immediately you are absolutely stuffed and then in the middle you know the 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 kind of various risk profiles of one issue two issues three issues we try not to say 50 50 because you get any idiot on the street can say 50 50 we're a bit more value than that but anyway once we've established in our advice letter what we think the cost will be going forward, which will be determined by the number of witnesses and how long the hearing is and all of that, we then we try and get a schedule of loss from the claimant if they haven't got one already or, or an offer of settlement. And even if they don't give us one voluntarily, we'll get one disclosed from order to be disclosed by the tribunal. So, But we can work out. If we know what somebody was on... Hmm on a salary, then we know what their losses are going to be for a year, subject to them finding another job. And typically we, we then say to the client, well, look, it's going to cost you this to fight it. And if you can get out of it for less, hmm. and I, I'd say this, you know, quite calmly, the clients, the only person who's going to win is me because hmm. if you can settle it and get out of it quick, unless there's some kind of political reason or there's some kind of, you know, you're taking a moral stand or there's a domino effect where you think if you settle this, you're going to have to settle everything. Hmm then practically it's going to be cheaper to sell. So you might, so you get businesses, we would advise to always look at getting out as cheaply and quickly as possible, unless there's, unless there's a compelling reason not to. So that's our stance, but of course it takes two to tango. So if you've got a claimant on the other side who's expecting 600 grand because they've read something in a newspaper and think yeah. that's the standard payment, well then you, you might end up finding that even as a will to settle on one side, the claimant doesn't do it. We, we have found that claimant solicitors and when I'm representing claimants, I do the opposite of this. We fund claimants listers who lodge the claim and only start to talk about settlement before the near the hearing. Yeah, of course. And I kind of think, why aren't you doing that? That would be my first phone call representing a claim to just say, like, is there any way we can do a deal on this before everyone spends the money? So you, you end up getting cases progressing which should have settled because one side hasn't been real, realistic about either the merits of their claim or 
the value of the claim even if they win and where it tends to settle on the day is where a barrister has been instructed this is i'm only speaking from my experience where we've yeah. rocked up on the day we do our own advocacy okay if claimant solicitors have instructed a barrister to do it and you get a barrister rocking up who's read the papers doesn't have any emotional attachment to it and says says all right can we do a deal <laughs> so you're there on the day all your witnesses they've spent you know thousands of pounds preparing all the stress and emotion that goes yeah. through it but not just for our witnesses but for the claimant as well so I, I think it is bad practice when it's settling on the day because it tends to indicate somebody's not being reasonable um, at an earlier part in the process. Yeah, reasonable and, and emotional is usually the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned around the percentages uh, and more importantly, data behind the reasoning for that. That I've never actually seen that anywhere, and I've worked with many firms in different jurisdictions, and I don't think I've ever seen that. I think that's a brilliant idea. Oh well. Uh, I'd like to claim it's mine, but um, it was. It was. Uh, I, I worked at a firm that no longer exists now called Ford Warren. It was taken over by a national firm hmm. after I left. But um, they, the guy who was in charge of the department there, started that, and I, I, I just thought it worked brilliantly. It gives clients clarity that yeah. they're looking. At, because what I think you tend to get with a lot of let me rephrase that. What some solicitors will do, you'll ask them a question, and they'll give you five pages of everything. What I know <laughs> about unfair dismissal. And you're at the end of it, no clearer. Whereas we try and say, we think you'll you'll win because of this, or we think you'll lose because of this, or we think your risks are this. Yeah. Here's your costs. Here's what they want. And then they've got clients from the very beginning got a clear picture of where they're going to go, which seems to me to be the only person who doesn't benefit by not doing that is is us. Because if a solicitor wants to drag the case out, then don't give proper advice. If you want to try and do your best for a client, then give clear advice at the beginning so a client knows exactly what the merits are in fighting and not fight. And I've had said to clients before, I said, look, if you want to fight this, fill your boots, but ultimately you're fighting it on an emotional basis. And we're the respondent. We're meant to be not emotional about this. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to do it, you know, just, just, I'll give you my bank details now. Just, <laughs> just pump thousands of pounds in and, and cause that's what's going to happen. So in think, a few months. Yeah. yeah and there's, a, there's an element I think where a solicitor's job is to, is, and I've been on the phone and I, I may have been guilty of it in the past myself in fairness in my younger days, but, of, not, of taking the motion out of it. And I've been on the phone with solicitors, you know, and there's, there's been raised voices and there's been a lot of emotion. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't take it any further. We're meant to be calm and professional about it. And these days it seems to me it's probably heading more that direction with the yeah. SRA. Well, the SRA is much more SRA. clear now. Our solicitor regulatory authority yeah. over here. And they, they're very clear on terms of our communications with each other that we've got to be respectful. And, um, and I think that's helped that you tend to get solicitors taking emotion out of it um but yeah so the percentage thing we think is 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 useful i mean other systems you could use i suppose there's a traffic light system you know you can use your red yeah, amber yeah. green but just something that gives a, a client a clear picture of the case because but yeah, i think the other thing is bear in mind the way we sort of deal with it is anyone who instructs us they've got a hundred other things to do it's not that one case and you want to make that bit something they can compartmentalize and move on with the rest of the day yeah, so yeah true yeah okay and it's a pity they're taking the emotion out because that just doesn't make for good tv everyone watches suits and all this sort of stuff and oh, i don't want to see the people they don't want to watch people being polite to each other all day no it's not and, and, well i've been in i've been in tribunal before where there was a a claimant who was unrepresented who obviously trained himself on how to do advocacy by watching Boston legal, <laughs> you know, and ev everyone thinks they can be an HR expert and employment lawyer because they watch a bit of telly, but this yeah. guy, you see, so you sit down in a tribunal, unless the, the panel are coming in and out of the room or you're, or you're um, taking the oath, 
you're sat down even when you're giving evidence or when you're cross-examining ah. or whatever. So this guy didn't clearly didn't know this, and he was he, he stood up to try and oh cross up. And I said, perhaps the perhaps the claimant could sit down. And he just <laughs> he, he couldn't he couldn't help himself, so he was kind of like leaning over, wagging his finger, <laughs> and and using that phrase. Whenever you hear this phrase, you know it's somebody who just watches too much TV. I put it to you. Uh. No one says that in real life. I put it to you that you didn't investigate this properly, did you? And your witness is never going to go, ah, oh, well, when you put it like that, you've got me. <laughs> so, so, um, so, yeah, so you, you do tend to get that. And then you get people on the, we get people who, uh, who, this is typically unrepresented claimants. Some are brilliant, I should say. Some really do a good job. Yeah. But there's others who, you can, t- you know, they're just, they're, the trying, they're trying to use yeah, lawyer language. And you think you're not helping yourself here. Just mm. take it down a notch and we might be able to do a deal, but you know, <laughs> I think you just can't handle the truth. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. And I think, you know, the reality is it's the old, I don't know where it's Carl Sandberg. This came from this quote and it was, and I'm kind of misquoting it, but it's right. Um, I think, which is if you don't have the law on your side, rely on the facts. If you don't have the facts on your side, rely on the law. If you don't have the facts or the law on your side, make a lot of noise. <laughs> so whenever I see people writing angry letters or uh, screaming yeah. down the phone or over dramatic in tribunal, I can say to my client, yeah, there's nothing there. It's just this is going to go well. It's going to go uh, well. Yeah. I love it. Um, you mentioned uh, about well, having information, data and so on. And for me, that provides clarity. And you also pro- talked about respect in dealings and things like that so that yeah. takes me to your website itself so robinsonralph.com yeah. is that the right website yeah Robin, robinson ralph robinson um, ralph yep yeah dot no com. worries yeah, dot com that's the website yeah yeah i actually love it I, oh, you, you, it provides clarity and it takes a very different approach there's the whole we will we won't as in these are the things we will provide or we we offer and so on this is what we will not do and you've also got a service pledge that, yeah. That's pretty unusual for a law firm. Can you talk us through a bit of that? Yeah. So the service actually, we have the service pledge. All of all of us have got got it behind us on our um, walls or on our desk as well, so that we remember what ways we're promising people. Because we do a lot of marketing on, on LinkedIn. We do, you know, we spent a small fortune getting that that website up and running as most fresh. And um, and then we kind of the conversation, which is it's all very well attracting clients, but if we're not going to actually deliver a good service then we're just wasting our time so we thought well we look at we, we went through with our the team what what it is that we think some firms do wrong and what it is we think that firms do right and from that then we produced the the service pledge which is two lists so we will and we won't um mm. so some of the stuff there you know uh, the giving robust and commercial and tactical advice um, is, is, as I say, back to that point where we, we will see and have one work from national firms where a client will come to us and say they've, they've, they've written to some firm and asked for advice and just to six pages of the law with, with no advice. Whereas, you know, our view is very much as a, fir- as, a, as a business. You can do what you want, sack who you want, do what you want, right? But it's going to cost you financially and reputationally. So the, 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 uh, decent solicitor isn't about saying you can't do something the decent solicitor is about saying how you go about doing something and we bear in mind i should say in our dealings with firms that we say you know we would always encourage businesses to deal with people like they would like their kids to be treated yeah 
And I think that, you know, it's, it's like you can sack someone, obviously, but um, I take it like the emotional and sorry, the financial and, and reputational risk. But these are living people with mortgages and families and responsibilities. And, you know, we should always be treating everyone fairly. And you want to be part of a business that, that does, it depends what you want to be, what kind of person. But we only hire people with three, with three, three criteria, which is um, people who've got a sense of humor, people who've got integrity and people who've got enthusiasm because it's my view that those are the only three things that really matter and those are the only three things that can't be taught. You can teach someone technical stuff, but you can't teach somebody to be in to, to integrity. You can't teach somebody to be enthusiastic or have a sense of humor. And I think if we're treating like we treat each other well, then I think there's an obligation to say to firms, well, to businesses, why don't you, when you're treating your staff, maybe maybe that's not a bad way to treat staff. And to be honest, that doesn't take much convincing. Most businesses we deal with are, are, are decent. Yeah. Um, and then the service pledge is really sort of saying to people, well, look, you know, if we don't do what we say we're going to do, go elsewhere. We don't tie people into contracts. We 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 think that that is that encourages sloppiness. If you know you've got a client tied into a contract for for years, well, then why why would you need to give them your best service? Whereas if you don't have that and you're relying on every phone call, every letter, every tribunal case you know, to win the work, you're constantly, as it were, on probation. And what that's a great way to to keep the quality the quality high. So I mean some of the stuff we've got in the service pledge that we'll do, you know, it's 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 we're transparent in costs. We don't give people surprises. We we um we make the point that we know that us being instructed is a privilege, not a right. We never take any work for granted. And we try and make sure that people don't view us as like law bots um who are, you know, just giving the advice and then that's the end of it we try and build relationships with people so they actually and as much as you can enjoy dealing with employment solicitors mm. enjoy enjoy dealing with us so we we'll take it all very seriously but we also um you know we also i think we've got a human touch which which people seem to like or the people who like us seem to like i'm sure there'll be it's very marmite approach because it's not vanilla there'll be people who'll hate it fine off you go deal with somebody else but the people who like it love it yeah yeah i understand and sorry, it's Vegemite, not Marmite. Um, oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, so, do people like the service pledge? Yeah, clients, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. I think we do. We do. Um, we do try and live by it. As I say, it's not just something on the website we put mm -hmm. on. We have got it. Everyone's got it beside their desk, so that we're reminded of it on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. There's a. Um, so in the HR world, there's the whole mission, vision, values, and. Um, every year you might do assessments uh, questionnaire surveys and yeah. some of those might be um, are we living up to our values and etc all this sort of stuff sometimes I have this thought in my mind that it'd be great to do an experiment where you don't put up the vision and values on the wall everywhere in the mm -hmm. company but every year you survey the staff and you say well what do you think our vision and values are yeah. and see what comes out on average yeah, no, I, I suspect yeah, that yeah. with you, you guys would uh, the way you hire, um, the way you've spoken here, and some of the other things I've seen. I suspect that you would be very consistent. It's more than other places I've seen where it's some words on a wall, but then forgotten about as soon as the next disaster strikes in the company or whatever. <laughs> well, to totally. I mean, I've worked in a place that had. I mean, we just got these in two bits of A4 paper, <laughs> and that's just you know, it's not like we've we've painted them on the wall. But I have worked for businesses which has writing on the wall 
Uh, I won't say what the writing was for fear of them identifying themselves, but um, <laughs> but you know, I think there there are there are firms. I sus I suspect where um, the the willingness to publicize their values might not reflect their internal yeah. values. You know, and I and I and I would, no shock there. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, would be for example, there will be firms who will talk about how they don't tolerate bullying and harassment and all of that. But I would bet there are firms that, despite publicly saying that, if they'd got a trainee accusing a fee earner who's bringing in a million quid a year of bullying, the million pound fee earner ain't going to go. It'll be the trainee. <laughs> so, so, you, so don't say you've got values if you don't have those values. And what I've said to recruitment consultants is, don't put somebody in front of me with a 500,000 pound business case. Because A, I don't want to fight about the restrictive covenants. But B, if somebody's coming in with, too big uh, uh, portfolio, there'll be an ego that comes with it. And the purpose of this firm is not to be the richest firm or the biggest firm in the world. It's meant to be a firm where everyone who comes here enjoys coming to work here. And um, and we don't have that Sunday night dread. <laughs> so the, 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 yeah, our, mo our motivations aren't to be the next Eversheds, who are a great firm, I should point out. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but just to be the, the first us. I love it. So that takes me to LinkedIn because that's actually where I first discovered you and your colleagues. And you are very non-employment law firm, like on LinkedIn. Mm. Um, and you said that when you hire people, one of the, the elements is humour. Yeah, and that shines. So oh, good. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean that's so. Well, what we try and do the way we the way the kind of way we I phrased it internally is we want to come across as being, which I think is true as well. We're so confident we can joke about ourselves, but we will never be the punchline to our own joke. Yeah. So I think the the stuff on LinkedIn, there will be people who will absolutely despise the videos we do and all that kind of stuff and the way we comment on things. Um, and typically, you know, it's all fairly good nature. There'll be people who'll hate it and think it's not serious enough for, for lawyers. And that's fine. They don't have to instruct us. But the ones who like it... Mm we end up being in a privileged position where we get firms and businesses contacting us to work with us because they've seen it. They get the idea, they like us. And um, it, 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 it basically, it, it saves us a lot of time in a way because we end, up, we end up getting the clients we want and the clients we deserve. So for people listening to this, this is such a key point because in any business, in any type of industry, it's always hard to stand out. And then it's hard to find clients you love working with yeah. and have them love working with you. But what you've just said there is getting to the heart of that matter. You said privileged position almost. Is that right? Yeah, that's, ex that's, ex that's exactly it. And we, we, you know, there was a, one of our marketing people said to us about a year ago, they said, would you, des would you, would you describe your your approach on LinkedIn is Marmite and, or Veggie, Veggie. And, um, and I, and I said, uh, yeah. And there would have been a time if you'd asked me five years ago, I'd have shuddered at that thought and been really insulted by it and thought, Oh God, that's terrible. That's not what I want at all. But I've learned to embrace that. And I think the, um, when, when, when you realize, I think that success and we say this here, success is 99% failure. And you realize that not everyone's going to like you. Mm. Um, it, it is very, very freeing. Oh, yeah. So, so we, you know, I will, I, I mean, I'll get, I get um, a fair bit of uh, uh, unpleasant comments on LinkedIn. Some I probably push back on too harshly. 
with the benefit of hindsight. Um, others these days, I just don't really comment at all um, uh, if I can help it. But I think, yeah, once once you kind of think, right, do you know what? Just drown out the noise of the people who are going to be angry or offended by it. I'll give you an example. I, I put a, a video on with me and Sam and Dave when we came back in January. Mm. And it was the first video back. And it was basically just having a, a, a kind of a mild whinge about being back at work. And <laughs> someone wrote below it, are there no women in your organization or do you just not let them go on camera? <laughs> and I was like, what do we do with that? So I just wrote back and said, no, Juliet's a woman and she's a 50% co-owner. She's just not in today. Mm. And, um, and I, that kind of felt to me like someone perhaps looking for a scrap yeah, but but um, but you know you can't you just got to kind of roll with those punches, and I think you recognise that the people who do look at the stuff that we do, you know, we'll get on with them. That's that's the bottom. That's the bottom yeah. line. So much more so trouble. yeah. And uh, how do you actually choose what you write about or, or vlog about on LinkedIn? So we've got um, we try and split it between a few things: uh, recommendations from clients which shows you know that despite the the jokes we deliver good service then the, the, the we split it um we try not to do the same thing so uh so i'll write maybe something from the times or the telegraph and they will write stuff from um the guardian uh, or the independence and a um sam will do maybe bbc or sky and that's not a set rule but it just means we're not then having to constantly say, oh, are you doing this article? Are you doing that article? Okay. So we kind of split it. Ring and then, it, yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, it doesn't all, I mean, sometimes if, if one of us is more busy than the other one or whatever, then we'll swap. And, and, but, but generally we kind of just kind of split it. And then we got the podcasts and webinars, which um, webinars being much more, they're once a month and they're much more serious and, yeah. um, you know, like how briefings. to do, yeah, briefings. And yeah. then we do the, the webinars, sorry, the podcasts, which are once a week and we do them in a series of like 10, which is we take a case a week and for 15 minutes, just mess about talking about it. So it's not very dry. And then, so we post about those and then we, and then we do our like minute long minute, minute 15 videos, which is, is basically a basically just you know what we're doing on the day can we make a video about this and if we can then we have a rough script yeah. and then and then we run we run through it so we don't want to spend like 40 minutes recording a one minute video but it might be yeah. two or three takes before we do it so um yeah so we, we can what 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 we try to have here and I, and I say try to because i think we do but i, I don't want to be definitive about it <laughs> it's a very collaborative approach where yeah. everyone comes up with ideas and you know, I'll come up with stuff and say stuff and they'll go, oh, it's rubbish, we can't do that. So, or that's, that might be too controversial. And we look at controversial as being, if you look at the most easily offended person in the world, will this offend them? Um, so we will try and, you know, I, for example, I regularly make jokes about myself being fat and I'm waiting for the day someone writes and tells letting down all fat people. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's some, but until that happens, I think we can still make jokes about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that's it. We just try and make it as collaborative as possible, so that nice. everyone feels they've got a voice. Nice. Uh, and on the mechanics of it, do you script out videos and do you calendarize what you're doing? Yeah. So we calendar. Yeah, that was Sam's idea. That happens to calendarize it because because we were just doing it at random. And then um, uh, Sam, our senior paralegal, said, "Yeah, it would be helpful." if we actually you know, put it in the diary and did it properly, which mm. was a 
he said it and I was like, yeah, why haven't we been doing that? Which is mm-hmm. So yeah, we do that. And then in terms of scripting it, it's a rough script, not for the, for the podcast. We just talk yeah, yeah. nonsense. One of us reads the case and the other two try and put, put them off. <laughs> um, for the for the webinars, that is heavily scripted because there's slides and stuff. Yeah. For the videos, we have a rough idea of what we want to do, and then we'll shoot it, and it either works or we go, oh, that was all right, but actually, next time you pull this face, or I'll pull that face, or ah. we'll say this. So whatever we think, you know, makes it flow a bit better. Yeah. Do, sorry, so, do you me- do you actually memorize that? I'm asking because lots of people are stunned to try to get into video. Do we memorize? Yeah, yeah. You're, if you're doing a one-minute video, do you actually have a, a series of bullet points written down and you try to memorize them, or do you have them off camera somewhere? Or what oh no, no. We just we just sort of. So we did one. Um, so we did one last week. We we're up at we we're up at Newcastle doing a, a talk, and we came out. And St James's Park was just there, so we said we'll, we'll get that in the background shot. We'll just say, all right, we've come up to Newcastle, and then we had this because it was Valentine's Day. Dave said, right, well, so what I'll do is. We'll talk about we've been doing the talk, and then I'll say to you, where are we going to go for Valentine's Day? <laughs> and you'd be really embarrassed about it all. So then if you watch the video with that in background, we then kind of we have that as the script. Right. And then just kind of... Um, gotcha. Just, just ad-libbed off the rest of it. Framework, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. All right. So the, the last couple of questions, is all of this working for you? Does, do you recommend doing more of this uh, for other firms in, in any of the HR and employment law spheres? Yeah. Uh, well, I'll be blunt. They won't do it because I think you know you can. You will. There might be individual lawyers who want to do stuff like this. In which case, they should give me a ring and there may be a job here for them. <laughs> but there'll be plenty. And I felt fairly frustrated in previous firms because, and I get it for the big firms. They they've got reputations yeah. which aren't based on what we're building ours on. So yeah. to introduce this kind of um, light-hearted approach, it it just wouldn't fit. Yeah. So that's why you'll see most law firms will have a, a a much more traditional approach, but but we can't compete. So we can't to use you know um, mm. Eversheds again as an example. We're Robinson Ralph. We're never going to compete with Eversheds on brand ever, mm. but we can compete as individuals. So um, you know if someone looks at us and likes our personality, brilliant. That's 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 the that's the only thing we can do. If we try and go out and do the same kind of um, Stuff that the big firms are doing, we'd have we'd have closed within a month. So, so, so the second part is yet yeah, it it does work for us because we get people contacting us, you know, and saying, you know, we really want to work with you, mm-hmm. and then we will go out and see as many new clients. I mean, we spent last two weeks ago, Dave and I were on a tour of Wales and Middle England, showing our face to new clients. So we weren't just a voice at the end of the of the phone. Yeah. Um, that's important. So, yeah, absolutely. And then my, my final question is around people listening, if they wanted to work with you, refer business to you or let other people know about you, who do you help and um, what should they do next? Uh, well, we, we mainly have uh, business uh, clientele and that's clients from Scotland in Wales, uh, Leeds, where we're based, London, all over, all over England, uh, and in Scotland and, and Wales as well, mm-hmm. and we advise on all sectors: uh, healthcare, uh, local authority, um, uh, transport, all of it. I mean, I, yeah, I can't. I should have prepared a list, but basically, any company we we advise. So we do all of that, and, but we also advise on settlement agreements for employees who are leaving 
businesses. Sure. We don't really do claimant work um, because it's usually funded by insurers and we've been burned by that. Um, so we don't do insurance work. We don't do no win, no fee work. We want to build a business where uh, our business is, is recurring work and we get that through um, businesses typically. So, but if anyone, if anyone wants to instruct us, obviously they, they can uh, ring us. Uh, let me give you my uh, landline number, which is 0113-212-3240. Or they can email us at info at robinsonralph.com or um, they can just go on the website or our LinkedIn pages and see see if they like the look of us. I do warn anyone looking though that the camera was broken on the um, on the photo shoot for the, for the website. That does make me look a lot fatter and older than I am <laughs> in, in real life. But yeah, and I think I think you know people are probably going to say if they listen to this, I mean, people will listen to this and hear what I'm talking about and think that guy's an idiot and they don't want to instruct me. Absolutely fine. But there might be someone who's listening to this and thinks, you know what, that sounds like exactly the kind of law firm I want. Mm. In which case, you're probably exactly the kind of client that we want. So, um, yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I'll put the phone number and email uh, details into the show notes. But, it, yeah, for listeners, I think that you will that the data and the, um, the ratings of, of uh, issues going to trial, you know, the percentage win, loss, chance ratios, those sort of things, plus the information shared constantly. But the, the personal fact of the, the, the humor and the... Yeah. I don't know, the, yeah, the natural human side of things is really attractive. So if you're listening to this, I would suggest going to LinkedIn, find Simon Robinson or the firm on LinkedIn, follow them, see the videos, just see the posts. You'll learn something about employment law anyway, but more importantly, you'll also uh, understand their style and, and who they help and so on. So there's a chance to either refer work or just learn from them. So that's Robinson Ralph. Simon, thank you very much for your time. It's been uh, really enjoyable chatting with you. Thank you very much for asking me, Ben. It's been very nice. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.